Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. A question from Cassie Prof. She says, Hi Prof, thoughts on what IVF cycle is best for someone with PCOS and endometriosis? Agonist or antagonist? Many thanks. Well, the overall evidence is that for PCOS, antagonist, the short cycle, reduces your chances of hyperstimulation syndrome and the balance is very much in favour of that. And up to a point, a long downregulation cycle, the, the, the agonist protocol really makes no impact on endometriosis. If you're going to use um, an agonist, you need to use it for two, three, four months before an IVF cycle to make any difference to your endometriosis. If the endometriosis is severe, having the laparoscopy and excising as much as possible before you go to the IVF cycle is probably going to improve your pregnancy rates. Question from Brooke Prof. Is there any point of having IVF at 43 slash 44? If you sat in front of me at 43, 44 and said, I'm here because I want to have a baby and I want to give it the best chance possible, I would say, yes, I'm happy to take you through an IVF cycle. However, we need to be realistic. My chances of getting you pregnant at 43 to 44, taking home a baby, are less than 10%. Now, most women I say that to who come to the point of getting a referral to see me from the GP, making the appointment, are already committed to doing something so that when they get perhaps to 50 and they look back and say, why didn't I try? And that's probably the, the balance that most people that I see, despite me giving them such a poor prognosis, will still go ahead and do IVF. And I would never say no to you. Amanda says, how quickly after a full term pregnancy can you safely do another stim round? The things that interfere with a hormones, potentially the breastfeeding. If you're breastfeeding and your prolactin levels are high, perhaps that's not a good time to be doing uh, IVF. But if you've weaned a baby, within a month or so of that, I'd be more than comfortable taking you through an IVF cycle. If you breastfed for three months and now you're, you know, if you've now stopped, then then that's that would that's fine. Get on with it. If you're breastfeeding and you want to keep going till 12 months, then maybe you should be putting it off at least until you start to get regular periods. And you should be getting the doctor to check your prolactin level to make sure that it's not elevated. Question from Kristen, Prof. I'm currently in the process of being diagnosed with endometriosis, but over 12 months ago, my partner got tested and the results were the worst. What is the process when it could be a mixture of both my issues and his? What we divide things up is that something like 20% of 
there's 20% of cases, maybe even 30% if you take age uh, older patients in cohort, 30% are unexplained. In other words, there's no endometriosis, there's good sperm and there's normal tubes and normal ovulation. Then there's about 40% which are due to female factors like endometriosis or failure to ovulate. And then there's 40% that are male. And if you add all that together, that's 100 and whatever it is percent. So there is an overlap where probably 15 to 20% of couples, it's, it's, you know, blame is on both sides. The worst news, um, I'm not sure quite what that means, is there's no sperm at all, um, but they need to be seen again by somebody who understands male fertility. And not every general gynaecologist or urologist uh, who GPs might refer people to uh, understand male fertility. There are very few. I mean, in Sydney, there's probably one or two urologists who deal with prostates and that sort of thing who also understand male fertility. Most of them don't. Amongst gynecologists, there's the group uh, who've done the boards um, in uh, with our college for REI, and that's reproductive endocrinology and infertility, and we are trained in male fertility. So finding out, finding someone who's got the CREI is going to give that your your husband the best chance of finding out why and possibly how we can improve it. Uh, in relation to endometriosis, uh, obviously a laparoscopy sounds like you may have had done already and removal as much as possible. But again, it's the subspecialists who do that best. There are lapros- all gynecologists when we finish training them in their six years at the public hospitals can do laparoscopies, but very few of them, unless they've done the advanced training program called AGES, A-G-E-S, fellowship program, uh, can actually tackle significant endometriosis. Because, and unless you tackle it properly, it'll keep coming back more quickly. And in terms of getting pregnant, you're better off having a good excision by a qualified, experienced laparoscopic surgeon. Than someone who just dabbles. Question from Claire, Prof. She says, hi, just wondering how long it would take to ovulate slash regulate period after starting metformin for PCOS. The evidence for metformin actually having an influence on pregnancy rates is not convincing. Randomized studies have suggested it probably doesn't have any impact on ovulation. You're much better off if you're trying to get to ovulate to use drugs that specifically would be changing the hormone profiles that stimulate ovulation, and that's letrozole, Femira, Femara, sorry, uh, or clomiphene, Clomid. If you're trying to get pregnant, that's the best way forward. Now, if you're taking metformin to control your insulin resistance and your obesity, yes, I mean, take it, that's fine, but it it won't in itself change your chances of ovulating. So you can use them together, metformin and one of these other drugs, ovarian inducers. Again, you need to be seen by somebody who understands both sides of that story. Question from Samantha, Prof. Husband and myself are due to start IVF in the next few months. I've just been told I'm a carrier for fragile X premutation. Should my husband get tested or will it not make a difference? And what would be the next steps slash questions to ask? Thank you. I'm intrigued as to why you were looking for fragile X, unless she did pre-pregnancy, that may be what it is. She's doing some pre-pregnancy screening and fragile X is one of the things that comes up. The implications of fragile X for you is that um, there is a relationship between that and premature ovarian failure. In other words, the number of eggs declines earlier than it should uh, if you're carrying the, the, the mutation. The second implication uh, is if you uh, have a child and it's a male and they have the fragile X, um, there's a slightly higher chance of mental retardation. 
So if you're going to go through IVF, uh, possibly genetic testing to exclude the fragile X um, mutations. It's a complicated area, and I hope that you're being looked after by someone who understands what to do. Someone who's got a genetic background or your clinic has a geneticist or genetic counsellor to talk you through those issues because they, they are complicated. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 